Welcome to Behind the Stethoscope. My name is Dr. Joelle Bradley. This podcast is a chance for our local physicians from the Royal Columbian, Eagle Ridge Hospital, and the community doctors in between to connect. Each show, you will have an opportunity to get to know someone from our community beyond their day jobs. Our doctors come from varied backgrounds, specialties, and experience, and they're here with us to share their stories of who they are behind the stethoscope. Today, we're going to meet Dr. Richard Vandergreen, a local cardiologist who works here at Royal Columbian, and explore a physician as artist. So welcome, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me. So about four or five years ago, I was sitting in the Royal Columbian Hospital Emergency Department, and I overheard someone congratulating you about some photograph that had been selected or reviewed in a contest for National Geographic. And I've always been meaning to ask you about this. Yeah, no, I'm happy to uh, be here and discuss it. So it started my sort of journey with photography probably, I'd say probably seven or eight years ago. And uh, it just sort of evolved organically to the point where, you know, people um, were interested in what I was taking pictures of. They asked to see them. I didn't have a place to sort of showcase that. So, you know, besides putting them on social media, I just put, a, put up a website, which is easy to create. Uh, started directing people, hey, if you want to see what I'm shooting, just go look at my website. And, uh, you know, got some positive feedback. So I decided to submit for some competitions and then progressed in terms of the level of competitions that I was entering and yeah got some got some sort of nominations and and uh, uh, awards and and such from these different uh, competitions including uh, National Geographic so so I imagine to be getting awards like this or these nominations it's partly technical skill but it's also probably passion what are the things you like to photograph mostly landscapes is what I started uh, photographing and it's funny because people like to look at landscape photography and I feel like there isn't a lot of creativity behind it, right? And so I'm always looking for something else besides landscape photography to, to challenge myself. But I feel like landscape photography, a lot of it's just getting to the right location, knowing some basics about technical aspects of photography as well as um, choosing a, a good composition, but then getting either lucky or patient with getting the right results from nature, right? Getting the right lighting, getting the right sunset, etc um, to get a good photograph and so you know I initially started entirely with travel photography and, and landscape photography but then started moving to some more uh, some projects I sort of took on in terms of architectural photography um, I have done portraits and weddings which I don't quite enjoy as much because I like I'm not, I, I, I like working with things that don't place demands on me basically um, and having the freedom to kind of explore without having to meet certain shot lists or, or criteria set out by my clients right and so that's why I progressed more into uh, like the architectural cityscape uh, fine art type photography and now I heard you say it was about seven or eight years ago you got into this mm -hmm. and in the scheme of things that's not very long no and it also does it land you in the middle of your residency or your fellowship yeah I, yeah it was during my fellowship I believe and um, it was uh, basically a, I was going on some you know bigger trips and travels and wanted to be able to take decent photographs when I was when I was away on these trips and so I bought a very introductory you know digital SLR camera I think it was like $400 it wasn't that expensive in the grand scheme of photography gear and so um, 
took it on the trip and and you know by the end of the trip I was becoming frustrated with the limitations of the camera and so it wasn't long after I upgraded my camera and then you know I think the the barriers to entry to any hobby but photography uh, as an example are becoming extremely low with the availability of online courses and uh, tutorials and YouTube videos and and everything that's out there to really learn learn the tricks behind the trade and so you know I started wanting to learn to shoot different things and so would uh, I subscribe for some online on basically online you know go at your own pace video tutorials to um, learn how to do these things and uh, it makes it very easy because uh, you know I watch an hour or two video tutorial go try it fail miserably go back watch a video tutorial one or two more times then kind of figure it out and and get some good results after that so now when I, I think of you seven or eight years ago being on this trip and frustrated you're not getting the the right photo can you think of any experience of some photographs that you've taken where you really feel you've learned something or mastered something any particular examples yeah I mean it's always it's always a, a process and uh, you quickly learn from your mistakes I, I never really got started with film photography and I can imagine how challenging that would have been because you don't get the instant, you know, um, feedback on your photograph, right? With digital photography, you can look right away and see, yeah, my composition's good. Sometimes you don't get as much detail in terms of sharpness and such on the photograph. And so that's that's things you often learn with post-processing. When you go home and sit in front of the computer and review your photographs, you really learn, oh, I, I really could have done this better. And you, you learn from your mistakes. But um, yeah, I mean... Some of the things, especially, are, are shooting um, like astral or Milky Way photography because opportunities to shoot that are few and far between, and often you have to spend really late hours shooting the Milky Way. And it's often hard to tell if your photos are going to be sharp and in focus until you review it at home, and then you spent the whole night shooting, and you go and review your photos and learn these are all, all throwouts, I have to, <laughs> to start again. So. Um, that bit can be frustrating, but. And how long did it take you to like master or be happy with your Milky Way photos? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a master yet, and um, there's still a lot to to learn and and perfect with with it. But um, you know, it probably took three or four attempts at, at shooting before I was you know consistently happy with my results that mm -hmm. I was getting. So. Well, I spent some time going through your website and looking at your different collections of photos that you've done. And yeah, words wouldn't do them justice. I would encourage people to look your website up at, at is it richardvandergreen.com? Yeah. I also got a little bit distracted looking at your, your accolades in there. And it's, it's kind of pages and pages of awards and nominations. And so congratulations. Yeah. Like, I was not expecting that uh, to be sitting with you and finding out how successful you've been. I wonder if there's any particular accolade that you've had that you're most proud of or was you, most fulfilling. Yeah, I think a few of the large open uh, competitions are probably uh, the ones I'm most proud of. And so those would be like the Sony World Photography Awards or, or National Geographic uh, Travel Photography Awards because, you know, it's a free entry to the competition. You know, there's an unbelievable amount of entries and, and the talent level is extremely high. Um, when I look at the, you know, the people who do win, I'm blown away by the quality of the work. So, you know, I never won those competitions, but I was, I was finalists and, and uh, with the Sony World Photography Awards. Um, as part of that, you know, my photo was exhibited in London for a week at a, at a museum. And so um, it's very fulfilling to be amongst 
you know that level of, of photographers and so those those are probably the highlights from my sort of short photography career so far and do you find that the the photos that have done well in the competitions are the ones that truly are most special to you yes and no I mean the it's always a guess as to what is going to resonate with people and I mean the best stories are always one sorry the best photographs are always ones that tell a story and evoke a strong emotion and that's often one of the problems with just, you know, landscape or architectural photography is without a clear uh, person element, uh, it's sometimes a bit harder to tell that story. And so, yeah, it's always a bit of a balance about what I like and what I think other people are going to like, but I'm mostly shooting for what I find interesting and what I want to do. You know, I'm not really making a career out of photography by any means. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's more of, you know, what what I'm interested in that I'm shooting and, and putting out there. So when I speak to physicians and everyone's so busy when they're in their residency or yeah. their fellowship or they're starting up practice and I'm wondering how and where you found the time to hone this craft. Yeah, it's it's a good question and I think I mentioned to you before I I've always found it really interesting cuz you know when people get into medical school the interview process selects these incredibly interesting individuals that have a, you know, a broad array of achievements and, and skills and hobbies. And then it sort of systematically beats the interesting out of that individual uh, through long hours of uh, residency training. And so uh, I think towards the end of residency and, and probably in early practice is when I find a lot of people probably rediscover themselves or, or be able to find some time for new hobbies or, or activities. And so, you know, I think I, it's just an interest of mine that I sort of found time for during the tail end of my uh, residency and fellowship training and just sort of progressed with it from there. It uh, was never something that I really set out to do from the start was, you know, try and become a good photographer and, and build a website and try to, you know, win some awards or such. It was it was a very organic, like, oh, this is something I'm interested in and, and I'm just going to go out shooting and I want to do a better job. I'm interested in, in, in trying to take better photographs and people are asking to see them. And so I build a website and then people are like, these are really good. Maybe you should submit to some competitions. And then I'm like, oh, I'll try it out and had some really success. And so it just sort of flowed very organically. And I think, you know, it's, you know, when you, when you look back at where you were eight, 10 years ago, it was never something that, you know, I thought I would be here now. So but I, I am still trying to understand where you find the time. Like I imagine there's opportunity costs because you are keeping up with your residency and your fellowship. Yeah. And what might have been the things that you had to put aside? Yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed travel and, and tried to uh, make travel a bit of a priority. And I think a lot of my photography projects just sort of it shifted, right? So my, my travel often shifted from, you know, a trip to go party wherever to uh, more of a uh, an opportunity for photography and the focus of travel became a bit more towards photography um, that's perhaps one opportunity cost uh, didn't really affect my overall career much but um, yeah I mean I think it just sort of comes down to how you prioritize things right some people you know after a long day might go home and, and watch tv shows or go do whatever they'd like to do after hours I might spend a couple hours watching photography tutorials or working on working on editing my photographs so and I imagine after looking at your website when you were planning your trips and with the idea of trying to get some I guess photographic packages I'm not sure what you call them or studies 
I, I absolutely love the Barcelona one where he must have been in a helicopter or something. And yeah. I always see these helicopter experiences and I, I think they sound so cheesy and it was amazing. Yeah, and that was a bit different because um, that wasn't a, a helicopter package. Um, I, I chartered the helicopter especially for that photography project. But, um, you know, the, I actually had the idea when I flew into Barcelona a year previous to that trip uh, for a meeting and... Um, when you fly over the city, you see this really cool grid-like pattern of how the city's been sort of uh, planned, um, and it's a it's a very striking image. And so I said, "Oh, that's really cool. I'd love to photograph this, but can't really do it from a passenger jet." And so when the opportunity came up to go back to Barcelona for a meeting the following year, I sort of said, "Hey, I'm going to be there for five days. I should maybe carve out some time and and go shoot this." And yeah, just looked into it and started planning it and then this is an area, another area that's helped sort of modern day photographers is, is Google Images and Google Earth right so you know I started by going to Google Satellite View of, of Barcelona and, and looking at the street patterns and planning out like I want to shoot here here and here and created sort of an aerial map that I sent to my my helicopter pilot and I'm like I want to you know circle the city but like I want, I want to stop and spend time at these locations and just out of interest What's it like photographing from a helicopter? Like it was fun. It was it was great. I, um, I get a. I'm not very adventurous, yeah. so I get a bit of palpitations hearing yeah. about this. So yeah, obviously the doors are off, and you're standing on the the rail or the skid of the helicopter. Um, you're harnessed in, uh, so you have a you know a proper harness that's uh, clipped into the helicopter, and they have a secondary for safety reasons. They have a secondary pilot who's basically in the back assisting you should you need any assistance. And uh, yeah, you're basically hanging out the side, just shooting straight down. Uh, I was going for sort of a bird's eye uh, view of the city rather than more panoramic views, and so yeah, you're basically hanging out trying to shoot straight down from the helicopter. It's kind of windy and and noisy, but it's. Uh, uh, the time flies. And you're and able to keep a steady hand. Yeah, it, that's that's a bit of the challenging on, on the technical part. Um, some people would, would invest in these quite expensive sort of gyro stabilization systems. But if you keep your shutter speed very high, uh, you should still be able to get very sharp images uh, despite the helicopter vibrations. So, yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So you've now been married for how many years? <sighs> Don't ask me that question. <laughs> Uh, carry the one, uh, I think eight, nine, eight years, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, and how does the photography fit with your marriage and your family and? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a bit challenging, right? And so, you know, if I travel with my wife, it's, it's hard to shoot with her around or with anyone around for that matter, because I might want to spend a bit of time doing something, right? Looking for the right angle or trying to work on composition or, or even for, especially for landscape photography, you're often waiting for the right lighting, right? So you might get on location and be like, yeah, this is perfect. I have a great composition, but I need to wait for the golden hour. I need to wait for sunset or sunrise or whatever. And so I guess I'm going to park myself here for the next two hours, right? They're not too much fun to be with. Yeah, exactly. And so um, so that's why a lot of a lot of my photography when I'm, when I'm actually with people is just sort of quick shots and, and hoping I get something usable. But if I really try and do a small project, I'll, I'll basically just set off on my own for a day or a couple of days to to try and accomplish that. And so definitely, you know, my wife's quite understanding and, and quite patient. But uh, now that we have kids, it's obviously more more challenging. And so when we do travel, I, I, I do still try and, you know, sneak away for a couple hours and plan something like, 
you know, this evening, assuming conditions are good, I'm going to go shoot this, this, and this, and I'll be back in two, three hours. And um, so I have to be quite um, careful with my time and make sure I'm, I, I do something that's fairly high yield. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely put a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's a restriction, but it's, it's, it's changed how I, how I shoot and, and how much of opportunity I have to shoot. So, Is there any reciprocation? It sounds like your, your wife is able and willing to give you time to do this and how are you able to pay her back in return? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, for example, you know, I, I was able to go away for a few days and, and do a small project. In return, you know, we had a newborn, but she went on a on a stagette for a weekend and I looked after the newborn for the weekend, basically. So, so yeah, it's a bit of a give and take, but it worked out. I forgot to mention the date. It's August 10th today. And I'm curious if being in the time of COVID has helped or hindered or inspired your photography in any way? Yeah, it's um, it's probably helped a lot of landscape and cityscape photographers worldwide. I mean, travel restrictions are in place, which which definitely hinders things. But all of the um, all of the common sites to go photograph are now free of people and tourists. So for me personally, it hasn't made too much difference because I've been quite busy. I haven't had a lot of opportunity. And the few projects I did have lined up involved international travel and got canceled. Um, so it's definitely hindered me in that sense. I do have some small projects this fall planned uh, just for a day or two. So yeah, still still carrying on with a few things. But I think uh, the travel restrictions has hindered most people. Certainly for uh, career photographers, wedding photographers, portrait photographers, um, they've been decimated by this, right? Because most events have been postponed or canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a few friends who are in the industry and, and they're really uh, suffering through these times. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I have an alternate means of employment. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of gone both ways, I think. I was curious if there was any particular images you may have gotten in the past couple months that was made possible by the time that's been given to some people by COVID and... No, not really, no. Yeah, we just had a new, a new baby uh, a month ago now. And so a lot of it's been put on hold with just sort of baby watch and then having a newborn in the house. So Definitely took some newborn photos, uh, but that would be the limits of what I've done recently. And in the context of being in a year of COVID, what what does the year hold for you in terms of photography might you foresee? Obviously, I'm disappointed that a few of my, my travel projects got canceled uh, due to travel restrictions. So I am looking towards some more local projects. And uh, having a new child has, has put a bit of a bit of a hamper on on plans to get away to, to do any trips as uh, wouldn't it be fair to my wife to, to leave her with both kids right now but th- there are definitely more um, uh, some more landscape projects I have in mind for the next six to 12 months which have shifted from being more international projects to more local projects but um, we'll continue with that I also want to explore a bit more with portrait photography and and placing even if it's a model or, or, or a person more into my uh, uh, making them the subject of my photography rather than the, the city, the building, the architect- architecture or, or the uh, landscape itself. Where do you get your inspiration for starting a new project for photography? And can you give an example of one where you got the inspiration and what it amounted to? Yeah, it, it always comes from different places. I mean, often you, especially now with with social media, it seems like there's less and less that hasn't been photographed. And so 
I think a lot of people get inspiration from social media or they realize there's there's things out there that they just weren't aware of and they want to go photograph. So, I, I, you know, it, a lot of a lot of ideas come from things like Instagram where where you you see a, a location and say, hey, that's that's amazing. I'd love to go photograph that. And, and the trick is, you know, how can I try and do this a bit differently? You know, everyone sort of has the same photos of the, you know, Yosemite and Yellowstone and all of you know the famous sites and monuments but um, uh, how can you go and create something a bit differently and uh, some of my photo some of my favorite photographs are actually you know when I've gone to those locations and discovered something completely else that you know the scene behind me or the river on the walk to the lake for example and 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 found a really cool perspective or composition that's perhaps not captured by everyone else going to that same location so um, a lot of a lot of inspiration does come from that. A lot of things, like I mentioned with with Barcelona, you know, you you see something and said, "Hey, th- this is cool. I'm going to come back when conditions are right." There's a tiny little Japanese maple in in Stanley Park that I saw in the winter months without the leaves, and I said, "Hey, this this branching pattern is phenomenal. I need to come back in the springtime when the leaves are out, with you know, ideally uh, just after rain or during the rain." And, you know, I came back to that location a few times until I said, okay, that now's the right time to photograph it. And I spent an hour and photographed the tree and got some good results. And so, and when you drive by this place, you know, you, you see this tree, like there's a pitiful little Japanese maple there, but mm-hmm. you would never expect it to be able to produce the photographs that, that you see. So, yeah, you can find a lot of inspiration, just sort of everyday things that you come across. And those are always the funnest, but yeah. Richard, there's many physicians out there who only ever use their iPhone for everything, including their kids' photos and their travel photos. Do you ever use your iPhone and can you get anything good out of it? Yeah, great question. And absolutely, I mean, I use my iPhone all all the time. I always say that my iPhone is for memories and my my digital SLR is for art, basically, or or photography. And the, the iPhone is just so readily available, so portable. And it actually does a really good job. Actually, a great example comes to mind. My wife and I were at Antelope Canyon, uh, which is a slot canyon in uh, Page, Arizona. Heavily traveled destination, tons of tourists. Um, and you can book photography packages there. All the trips are, are supervised by the, uh, it's on Navajo land. And so a, uh, there, you have a Navajo guide um, for your, your time in the, in the slot canyon. Uh, but basically, what they do is it, it's such a, uh, it's a it's a location with a very high dynamic range. Uh, I mean, there's there's quite wide contrast in terms of the amount of light. Very dark areas, very bright areas, and so it's a challenging place to shoot. And it's made worse because there's literally like a hundreds and th- or hundreds of tourists in the slot canyon, um, which is actually a very small space. And so when you shoot, you have to get your tripod out get your settings right, which is sometimes a bit challenging given the high dynamic range, and then um, try to get some good photographs. But the, the guides actually hold the tourists out of your field of view for two minutes. And so you have two minutes to shoot, and then your time's up, and they let all the tourists go through, and you have to set up a new location. Then they'll give you another two minutes, and you, you shoot, 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 and then they let the tourists go through. And so um, at the end of it, you know, I was very proud of the photographs I got on my phone and I was very happy with the results, sorry, on my, on my digital SLR, I was very happy with the quality of, uh, photographs that I got. I put a bunch of them up on the website. Um, and then my wife sort of just shows me the photo she took on her iPhone. I'm like, damn, that's pretty much 
as good as I, I got on my digital SLR. And so it, it's certainly, um, they're certainly a powerful tool and the, uh, they're getting better and better in terms of their, you know, how, how sort of smart that they are in terms of the, the processing of the photo and, and displaying, uh, you know, a wide dynamic range and being able to focus and adjust exposures and, and all that stuff. So yeah, they, they really are a great asset. Now, I was reading on your website that you really value taking a good picture as is without cropping and all the other extra processing. Do you have any tips for the listeners about composing a good photograph on your iPhone? Yeah, the I mean, the most important thing is that you find it interesting or somebody finds it interesting and it evokes a response. I mean, some of the simplest photographs I find the most powerful. Uh, and I think... Um, some people uh, at pitfalls often try to include too much in a photograph or have too many cool things in the photograph. It's often much more powerful to just to have a singular focus uh, of the photograph and um, have a very powerful subject. And so that's probably the most important thing is that it means something to somebody. You know, there's always rules on photography. Um, the, you know, there's a rule of two thirds, there's the rule of leading lines, there's the rule about um, how to compose and, and frame the shot. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different rules, but there's so many examples of where the rules can be broken. And so from a composition point of view, you know, there's a long list of rules that people can review, but at the end of the day, it basically is, do, do you respond to the image? And, and if the answer is yes, then it was a successful photograph. I really appreciate you spending your time with us, allowing us to get to know you a little bit better. It's probably about time to wrap up. I really want to thank Richard Vandergreen here, and I'll thank our producer, Nikki Thorpe of Bronick Consulting. This podcast was made possible from our local facilities engagement via the Doctors of BC. And as always, I want to give a special thank you to you, our listeners. We invite you to connect with us on Instagram and at BehindTheStethoscope at yahoo.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you've enjoyed our show and you want to see it continue, please consider a donation. It's as easy as going to the rchfoundation.com and donating with a note that says you want your $50 or so to go to the podcast fund. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Dr. Joelle Bradley.